Ian, how did it all happen? Because for you, it, it was a little different than, uh, than the normal. Really, the recording career, if I remember correctly, was launched in Seattle, which is not too far from Vancouver. That's right, Red. Well, it was in 1964. I was a student at Trinity College Dublin, and I had a band called Bluesville. It was a very strict rhythm and blues band. You know, they wouldn't play anything but the black blues. And I said, listen, we've got to have, to get a hit, you've got to cut rock and roll. And to cut a long story short, I came to Seattle that year to play in a coffee house, and I bought a tape with me and went up to a certain gentleman called Jerry Louis Louis Denon. He just hit with the Kingsman. I said, I'm going to be the next Mick Jagger. And he went like that. He was always, you know, whatever's right. He was like that. Cool man. And uh, he signed me because I pitched it. He signed me lock, stock, and barrel, I might add. But anyway, uh, and I went back to uh, Dublin and uh, came up. The first record was a, was a flop, actually. It was called Soho, an instrumental. But I came up with a thing called This Sporting Life in the winter of 64. And it was made mostly in Dublin, but I brought the tape to Seattle and we dubbed on an organ played by a group called the Sonics. There was a guy that was playing the organ in that group. And it was released in January of 65 and became a local hit. And then became a national hit because it came out on Tower Records, which was a new label put out by Capital. Subsidiary, yeah, that's a right. A subsidiary of Capital. Like Columbia has Epic. That's right. And then, so that was my first hit, but I was still, I must add, or say again, that I was still a student at college, you see, in midterm. And it was all a great joke. But Sporting Life, I thought, was a good record. And I, it was a hit here, I, I know, in Canada, and it was certainly a hit in Los Angeles. And it was, I thought it was, you know, it was a good song. And, uh, and then for a joke, we recorded You Turn Me On. It had no title, actually. Nothing. It just was a made up as I was going along. But you have a sense, Ian, after watching you perform again today, and I haven't seen you perform in years, of what I call the, uh, the tradition of the Bu uh, British Music Hall. Oh, yeah, and vaudeville. Yeah. See, I, I love that. I mean, I grew up in that. My grandfather sang with some of the old acts. My uncle wrote La Lady of Spain, the clean version. He wrote, let's all sing like the bird is sing. And I just always loved old songs. And, and I, can, I can do that. I'm really a sort of vaudeville comedian, but I also croon a bit, too. Uh, but I, see, I love show business, I really do, and I love it going back a long way. Al Jolson I adore, oh. to me he was the greatest, and it was a tremendous thrill to me when I did a show with Jerry Lee Lewis. He told me that he had every record ever made by Al Jolson. He's a big fan, I've talked Great to him. Great fan. And Michael Jackson too, loves Al Jolson, loves him. Yeah. No, uh, but you're, you're an all-round uh, uh, performer, no doubt about it, that's why I think I used the uh, the music hall, but when I saw you up there on stage with your uh, ukulele, oh, yes. I was thinking of, uh, you brought memories to my mind of George Siegel, how he gets on. Yeah, he plays the banjo. I did a show with him about two weeks ago, actually. I was on before him, and he said, oh, that's a good act, because I was doing the same kind of thing. But yeah, and because I love, as I said, all those old 20s acts. Uh, the, the guy who played the uke then was Ukulele Ike uh, yes. in the 20s. He was the first guy to record Singing in the Rain. I love him, and then there's a British act who apparently is well known here. George Formby. Oh, yes, very, very well known. Yeah. Terrific, and I've learned all his songs, you see. And then I write my own as well. I mean, I, I, I wrote, written several of these songs. In fact, Mae West recorded several of my songs. She recorded You Turn Me On, uh, I Am Nervous, and then I did a whole LP with her called Great Balls of Fire, where she sang Great Balls of Fire, and when she said that, she meant it. And, uh, <laughs> scream that. And uh, she, well, no, what, oh, it's a reality. Anyway. 
No, I produced her, her last uh, album, which, as I said, was called Great Balls of Fire. And then on that, she sang, I got her to sing all these old rock and roll songs. And I also got her to sing Light My Fire, which was great. It's on MGM, the record. It's amazing because the lady uh, was a legend. Oh, do you know, I love being with her. I mean, because I so admired her. I mean, she was a real star. And I spent months at her knees, you know, rewriting the words of the songs because she's saying, oh, Miss West wouldn't say... Uh, come along a baby a whole lot of shaking going on or something I had to change all I had changed the words for example to happy birthday sweet 16 because she said you know I can't that's too young for me dear or 21 will do better so I had to change it to happy birthday 21 that's my sort of the, that's the guy I like is 21 and um, so subsequently I met uh, Neil not Neil Sedaka who, Howard Greenfield who wrote that song and he knew about it, and he said, oh, I didn't mind about that. He said, changing the words, but you're not going to get a penny. Oh. Um, anyway. That's your business. Uh, all of the songs between the hits that uh, lasted on the charts in that uh, great period in the 60s, uh, yeah. when uh, everything British sold, no matter what it was, mm -hmm. you could have uh, dug up things on Piccadilly Square and sold them. Uh, what, what has Ian Whitcomb uh, been doing? I'm aware of some things, but... Well, it's, it's sort of, it's a confusing picture because, um, you know, I, I really only had the one hit, um, big hit, and, and I always took it as a nice joke, but I went back to college, got my degree, and then started to write uh, books, and I really see myself seriously, I suppose, as a writer. I mean, I'm proud of, of I've written, I had five books published. I produced a number of TV shows. In Britain, for example, I just produced a part of a series on, on black music called repercussions and so there is a sort of serious scholar side too and I've just written a film treatment for which we hope will star Phil Collins with a, a very fine director called Taylor Hackford he directed White Knights this is his last oh, yeah, latest film so he and I are great friends yes he and I are great friends and we worked together in the past on shows so I mean I'm a writer I'm really actually a backroom boy who loves to perform from time to time. And I mean, that's why it was fun today, because I, you know, if I was doing that every night, I probably would be dead of drugs or something like that. Because Isn't that true? it was just fun for me, you know. Yeah. It was fun for me, Red, though, until the end. I must say, by 1968, it was getting grim. I thought, oh, you know, I really, I was starting to lose my temper on stage and get into fights and all that kind of thing. I remember once I tweaked a program director's beard in San Diego. And uh, uh, it was a foolish thing to do, and, and I got banned on all the stations because I tweaked his beard. Oh. You see, I was getting into this crazy stage. Yeah, but you see, what you're describing there, Ian, uh, for a lot of performers where the, the public doesn't realize what would kill an Elvis Presley or somebody is a perpetual road. You don't know who you are after a while. That's right. I think that's absolutely true because, you see, I think with Presley and I think with practically every act, you know, when, especially rock and roll, where you are the act. You know, the old-time acts like Crosby and Jolson acted when they were on the stage. When they came off the stage, they completely changed. They went back to being normal people. But rock and roll demands that the singer is the song. The singer lives the song, and they've got to be the same off stage. And I think in the end, I think it's applied to Presley, he became his, what everybody saw him as, and he had to live that part off stage. So he became a wild, crazy guy. Also, I do think this, I think that so many of those acts, early acts, came from very poor, when I say poor, economically poor backgrounds, and they just, they weren't prepared for this fame. In my case, you see, I came from a fairly well-to-do, I mean, you know, moneyed background. So it was all a great jape, you know, and all, and all my brother-in-law, who's now a major general, said, well, the thing is, you know, all jolly well with this rock and roll. 
But I want to know something. How do you remember the words of these songs? Well, I say it's just, baby, you really tell me on, baby, you really tell me on. Well, it's jolly clever to remember them. So it was always in the background was my family saying, you know, when are you going to get a proper job? But in Presley's case, that was all he had. He had nothing to go back to. Plus, there's no training for it. You're absolutely right. Uh, coming, uh, I think the revealing thing when I interviewed Elvis a few times years ago. Did you? Oh, of course you did, yeah. He said uh, uh, it was crazy for my daddy and me to go from... Uh, you know, absolute, uh, 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 absolutely being poor and destitute yeah. uh, to overnight being millionaire. I don't, I don't know how anybody adjusted. Yeah, to it. you knew him well, of course. I've got your LPs. So, yeah. yeah. Now, I, I wish I had known him, but Jerry Lee, I know quite well and admire enormously. I've spent quite a bit of time with him, taping him and talking to him, and he's an absolute g gentleman off stage. At least he was with me. I'm told he can go. Oh yeah, crazy, but that's but the road again. I think. Yeah, it's the road, the fever. Yeah. The Jerry Lee you see today, though, I think he's been at the, with the ups and downs, and I think he's talking to Carl Perkins, who was here last week, uh, oh, yeah. settled down. So, Ian, you've yeah. got a new book out. Let me let me well, ask you about this one. Hold this up. About a couple this of, is called. Years. <laughs> it's been out a couple of years. This read, and of course, it's uh, it's my story of the the sixties. It's partly about my uh, uh, short success, the underbelly, the soft underbelly of rock, and then the major figures are there as well. Uh, but then my first book has just been republished in Canada as well, after the ball, after just that. this week. And I'm writing a book now on Irving Berlin and his ragtime. He's still alive at 98. And I'm sort of in touch. He knows that I've recorded some of his songs, but he apparently, he said, why does he want to record these old songs from 1912? I've got new songs. It was always the same, Red, when I met these, used to meet these old-time writers. They didn't want to talk about their old songs. They wanted, they said, I've got a rock and roll song for you. It's a great song, you know. Yeah, amazing. And they wanted, <laughs> but I just, I love songs and I love rock and roll, but I love the old songs as well and the whole thing. I wish I could get with today. I must say, I do find, because I was a disc jockey on K-Rock, which was a big rock and roll station in, in Los LA. Angeles. Yeah, and I just... I have to play play this stuff all the time, you know. But I just think it's all today a little bit too tech, techno for too me. Too sanitized. Yeah, and I think rock. I honestly, it's a terrible thing to say, but I think rock and roll died some time ago. <sighs> I think it's just recycling. Hold this up now, but terrible don't let the glare. This. But the, I'm a Presley fan. Yes. The right. best of Ian Whitcomb. You turn me on. Who's on there? Oh, all the yes. You turn me on. Uh, your baby has gone down the plug hole, remember that. Where did Robinson Cruz go with Friday on Saturday night? And I can hear them saying at home, and he records that stuff and he dares to attack today's rock. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I just think that, the, the, you know, I'm a really an old, re unreconstructed rocker. I mean, I love Gene Vincent, Haley Presley, all those Eddie guys. Eddie Cochran. Eddie Cochran, you see. And, and that, to me, was like being around when the Bible was being written. I mean, it was like being around with Christ, because that's when it started, and that, those are the guys who made it, made rock and roll from scratch, and there'll never be anybody else like That's them. what we're trying to recapture with our Legends of Rock and Roll series. And Ian, thank you for being part of it. Thank you, Red. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you.